Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. If you ask a single person what the local dating scene is like, you may get gripes and groans in response. A lot of swiping left. Others may answer with a sly smile. One thing is for sure, dating can be a mixed bag. As our city grows in population and changes, so too does the, the dating scene. The popularity of dating apps has made it easier to meet people, but that approach doesn't work for everyone. Later this hour, we'll get the lowdown on Nashville's dating scene from a few eligible singles, and we'll meet a few matchmakers who make the business out of finding love. But first, Tennessee's coalition to end domestic and sexual violence has been through a lot. Longtime executive director Kathy Walsh left last month shortly after details went public about a federal investigation. Inspectors found that one employee was forced out of the coalition after raising concerns about how the nonprofit was using its grant money. WPLN contributor Natasha Senyanovich and Tennessee Lookouts Anita Wadwani obtained their report and broke the story. Natasha, welcome to This is Nashville. And Anita, it's good to have you back. Hi there. Thank you. Hi. So, Natasha, get us started. Lay out what exactly this group does. So the coalition is many things. It gets state and federal money to educate everyone from teens to police and judges on recognizing and preventing domestic and sexual violence. The coalition has been instrumental in shaping and passing a lot of legislation. The nonprofit is also a centralized recipient of federal and state grants that it distributes to other organizations like shelters across Tennessee. And the coalition offers legal aid to immigrant survivors. So every state has a coalition, this umbrella organization whose dues-paying members are typically the organizations that work directly with victims, like shelters or shelters, uh, sexual assault centers. Now, some state coalitions also run the state hotline for victims, but it's important to note that Tennessee's does not, nor does it run a mm. shelter or any kind of crisis center. And as I mentioned, Executive Director Kathy Walsh is out, though the, pron the nonprofit wouldn't say whether she quit or was fired. Either way, that change came just a couple days after your reporting on this federal investigation. Anita, what did you find? So federal investigators found that the coalition committed an unlawful act of reprisal. Essentially, and, and this investigation was conducted by the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General, they found that as a form of retaliation, Kathy Walsh and the coalition's then associate director forced out an employee who kept voicing concerns related to a large and pretty prestigious CDC grant that entirely paid for her salary. Mm. That employee claimed that her bosses told her to do things that violated the rules of that grant uh, to keep quiet about her concerns, and then reprimanded her when she wouldn't comply. Um, the uh, employee eventually handed federal investigators a pretty hefty paper trail. She gave them emails, text messages, screenshots, um, and there were also emails from the CDC that backed up uh, some of her concerns. Now, you interviewed this former employee, the, the one who blew the whistle. Her name is Veronica Quinones. What tasks was she being asked to do, Natasha? 
She told investigators that she was asked to keep two sets of timesheets. So one that reflected what she actually did and the other that would show only her work on the CDC grant. Veronica was hired to to oversee statewide violence prevention programs, which she did. Um, But she, like other employees, was also expected to answer calls from domestic and sexual violence victims reaching out to the coalition for help, sometimes in crisis situations. Given the name of the organization, it makes sense, right, that people calling maybe when they're fleeing for their life mm-hmm. would would reach out to the coalition. But as we said earlier, the coalition does not run a hotline, and a lot of staff members were not trained to handle these calls. Nor did the coalition seem to have a setup to transfer the callers to the actual help hotline or to other crisis centers. So here's here's a clip from our interview with Veronica. We had people that literally worked on accounting and business and had no knowledge of sexual assault, domestic violence, answering these phone calls. And I told them that if somebody comes to us who is suicidal and somebody isn't trained in dealing with a crisis call like that, this could be really bad. If you put them on hold, you could lose that person's life. So I remember being really concerned about this. I was told that it was about being a team player and everybody had to help out. So this put Veronica in a really tough spot. She, of course, wanted to be helpful and empathetic, but there's a lot that goes into handling crisis calls, and she was worried. Also because this kind of work was not allowed under the rules. This this direct services work was not allowed under the rules of the CDC grant. Um, But this was not the first time that I'd heard about serious concerns within the coalition around these calls for these very reasons, as well as the fact that the calls can also be traumatizing and re-traumatizing for employees who themselves are survivors of violence. And most who work in anti-abuse organizations and nonprofits are survivors. So as Veronica and other employees pointed out, um, very bluntly, just because someone has been abused or raped doesn't automatically mean they know how to help another person in crisis Mm -hmm. through that. So these calls ended up at the heart of Veronica's federal complaint. All of this then goes into this federal investigation, and a lot of it comes straight back to the executive director, Kathy Walsh. Anita, can you describe her role in Tennessee in the past couple decades? Yeah, in in many ways, Kathy Walsh has been synonymous with domestic violence work in Tennessee. She's led the coalition for more than 30 years. Uh, The coalition has historically been the biggest recipient of uh, anti-violence federal funding Uh, She's often a go-to person for journalists who are writing anything to do with uh, domestic violence or sexual assault. And one of her key roles has been at the state capitol where um, she has for a long time worked to shape legislation and policies related to domestic and sexual assault. I would say it's really hard to overstate her influence By her own account, she's helped pass um, 200 Tennessee laws uh, during her time at the coalition. Mm, That sounds like a significant legacy. But I understand, and this was mentioned earlier, that there have been prior concerns about leadership at the coalition before this federal report. Natasha, what can you say about what brought you to be reporting on this nonprofit? Well, so I began covering domestic violence in Tennessee while I was still at, uh, at here at WPLN a few years back. Mm-hmm. And despite prosecutors saying it's the most prevalent violent crime in many parts of the state, especially Davidson and Shelby counties, the world of those working to combat it and to help victims and survivors is a pretty small one. 
So over the years, I'd hear concerns from people in the field about the coalition's workplace culture. And at one point, an open letter actually went out to numerous local journalists, including myself, urging someone to take a closer look, to, to listen to employee concerns about the director. Now, back in 2017, um, the state comptroller questioned some of the coalition's grant-related bookkeeping. It was pretty similar to this latest issue about grants and timesheets, except that it concerned more money, about half a million dollars in questionable accounting. But also at that time, and this kind of passed under the radar, another state audit documented staff complaints about a hostile, even abusive workplace. This is actually where Anita comes in. She had covered the Comptroller's 2017 report, so I asked her if she'd join me in looking into the coalition. And Anita, you do a lot of accountability reporting. I knew a lot of time went into this. What did you obtain and how much material are we talking here? Well, there were things alluded to in those 2017 state reports um, that kind of guided some public records requests. Um, we were able to, through a public records request to the Tennessee Office of Criminal Justice Programs, which conducted the audit, uh, get thousands of pages of, of documents that guided their audit. They included handwritten notes of interviews with staff, board members, and Kathy Walsh, email correspondence, uh, a not very flattering internal staff survey, other records. Um, and we've also talked to former employees. Um, I will say they've been somewhat nervous about being quoted or on record, but they certainly have helped us understand the work of the coalition and the workplace concerns. So the latest is that this domestic violence coalition is going to need a transition to a new leader. Right now, there's an interim director who's been with the group for about two years. Her name is Jennifer Eskew, and she has a background in nonprofits in Nashville. Anita, are there things you'll be watching for or asking about? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people, especially in this um, violence prevention community, are going to be waiting to see what happens. There's just been this one leader of this work for so long, and we've been told it's not really typical for a nonprofit to have the same leader for more than 30 years. Now, the coalition has a board of directors, and they sent us a statement saying they're not expecting any interruptions to their work. But, you know, one place that could prove difficult is in their legislative work. You know, Kathy Walsh is a registered lobbyist. We don't know if there are any other lobbyists within the organization. And part of the coalition's mission has been to represent the interests of, you know, dozens of smaller member agencies at the legislature, shelters, domestic violence, nonprofits, a lot in rural areas. Um, I, and I'm just kind of interested how and whether these groups manage to have a voice and a seat at the table at, in the, the legislative session this year. Mm. And Natasha, what are you watching for? So one of the main reactions that we've been hearing um, are actually questions about accountability from the coalition's board. Mm. As a nonprofit, it has a volunteer board of directors. And during our reporting on the federal investigation, uh, federal investigation, they and Kathy Walsh issued identical written statements. They both disputed all the findings and said that they would rebut them. That changed really quickly after our reporting came out. But in the background also are these state reports and other documented issues from five years ago, including very high turnover that didn't appear to get resolved. And, and the board itself, um, they had looked into Veronica's grievance. But unlike the federal investigators who, after three years, substantiated her claim and found unlawful reprisal, the board, after a few months, said it found no wrongdoing on the part of Walsh or the coalition. So mm -hmm. we'll be closely following what comes next for the entire coalition and the board. 
Natasha Senyanovic is a WPLN news contributor, and Anita Wadwani is senior reporter for the Tennessee Lookout. You can read their in-depth coverage of the Tennessee Coalition to End Domestic and Sexual Violence at WPLN.org. Natasha and Anita, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for your reporting. Thank you. Thanks. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll explore the dating scene in our city and talk about the rise of dating apps. How has dating been for you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Companionship, intimacy, love. That's the end goal of dating, right? For some, it's just fun, adventure, a good time on a Friday night. Others are looking for their forever person. Whatever your reasons for dating, we wanted to know, what's the local scene like? My next guests are here to offer their insights. Abigail Trzinski is a Vanderbilt PhD candidate who wrote about how dating apps have changed since COVID-19. She's joined by a couple of Nashville's singles. Damaris Miller is chaplain, chaplain and director of spiritual care at the Martha O'Brien Center. And Desiree Arista is the vice president of health, equity and inclusion for Revive. I want to thank you all for being here. Welcome. Thank and this you. is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So, Abigail, you know, what inspired you to take a look into dating apps? Um, I have grown, not grown up with dating apps, but I come from a generation of people that dating apps became a thing when in my 20s and my late teens and everybody kind of started using them and I've seen them blow up and I've always been intrigued um, about how people use dating apps, how successful they are, seeing them blow up from an internet phenomenon to, you know, being able to swipe on your phone mm-hmm. and stigmas with them and how people can meet. There's really great stories out there, some great, some sad. Um, and I wanted to get get to know it better and also see how it's changed. Okay, so, so tell me, how did folks change how they use the apps during COVID? Mm. Well, there were a lot of restrictions in place. So I think, you know, during a lockdown, when you're on an app and you're trying to date and meet someone, you had to limit your location, um, maybe be outside, weather permitting, think about your your own safety. um, And if you lived in a household where people were maybe susceptible, um, taking into account somebody that you matched with, having the same priorities of thinking about COVID. And some apps really offered settings where you could prioritize things and and meet people that had similar interests. And they really also offered other ways for people to rethink dating during quarantine. Mm. Yeah. So tell me, which dating apps are popular here in Nashville? Many. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think there's, there's the national, international apps that everyone kind of knows, and they all have different good and, b- and bad things about them. It's all personal preference, but those are the Match match Group apps. So Match.com, Tinder, Bumble, Hinge. 
And then there's more specific apps for people that kind of really know what they want or have very specific interests. So in Nashville in particular, there are a lot of faith-based apps that are popular. Mm -hmm. um, Christian, Christian Mingle, um, JDate, JSwipe as well. And other very unique apps. Um, there's one, I think it's called Dig um, for dog lovers. Okay. And kind of have a date centered around you um, and your dogs. Is, um, there, is there one for cat lovers? There is also one for cat lovers. Okay. That's that's good to know for a friend. Okay. So, <laughs> Miller, you're single. Yes, sir. Are you on any dating apps? I am. I am. I'm actually on Hinge. Um, and I feel like that meets kind of my category of my preference of what I like for my partner. What's your experience been like using these apps? So for me, um, I am um, coming out of a divorce. And so I've been, I, I went through a divorce about two years ago. And so I took a year and a half to really heal and um, therapy and really find myself. And so now when I go to the apps, uh, for me, there are great opportunities to meet people I'll never get a chance to meet. Um, and I, I go in with the mindset, of, I'm just trying to find a friend. Mm. You know, and if a friend comes into a best friend and the best friend turns into a lover and a lover turns into marriage, then so be it. But for me, it's just I'm looking for some cool people to hang with, you know. And, um, and so by doing that, I also take the pressure off of finding a, finding a wife, you mm. know. And so I'm, I'm just looking for friends. And if it turns into that, then I, that's a blessing. Desiree, how about you? Yeah, um, I, I haven't been on the apps as much when I was thinking about getting back out there. Um, since meeting in person uh, with folks hasn't been that great. I, I actually got on the Facebook dating because it was easy. It was right there okay. on my uh, my app. But it's it's been interesting. It's been a great way to meet folks that are already in your social network, which has been really cool. Would you say you're skeptical of dating apps? Um, I guess... I wouldn't say necessarily skeptical. It's just been, in my experience, the connection hasn't always been there, um, especially since it, it takes me a, a bit to really get um, a sense of a person and, and I need to spend some more time with them. And typically and historically, I've dated folks that I have met, I've already kind of known and in a way, I guess, vetted. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, meeting folks um, from an app, you know, there's a lot of chatting and, and sometimes you end up thinking of who they are from this chat and then you meet them in person and there's, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there's a bit of a difference. And so I think that's been my experience. I wouldn't say it's everyone's, but that's why I tend to prefer to meet someone that's already uh, within my, my social network. You know, you bring up this point that some traditional daters use that dating apps and constant texting, it allows for folks to hide their real selves under an online image or texts. Tell me, why is connecting with a person face to face your preferred method of communication? Because there's a lot to be lost within the the tone, the you know watching their their facial expression, really get an understanding of you know who they are that you can't really see within a text, you know. And we are humans, and we're going to read into things. And if we're just looking at a text, you know, we're going to really super analyze that. Um, and so I think it's more about just getting to see how that person responds and reacts to things. Um, and for me, it's about, you know, are they engaging? Are they asking questions back? Um, that sort of thing that you just can't get quite from text. Miller? Repeat the question one more time. You know, why is connecting with a person face-to-face -face so important for people? If it's important to you, and what's different about it than meeting someone over an app? 
you know, for me, I think there is importance in meeting face to face, but there's also importance in texting and calling and, and, and keeping up with each other. And so for me, I value all aspects of communication. Um, I do enjoy, I do think there is a, a point where we do need to meet in person. Um, but for me, I ask, um, you know, I, um, I'm a good judge of character and people. I, I really believe it. I really believe I've asked certain questions that I can get good answers from and stuff like that. And so for me, um, I do prefer to meet in person eventually, but I, I enjoy texting. I enjoy talking throughout the day. I enjoy checking up on you, seeing how your lunch is going. I like to communicate throughout the day. I'm not just a, a want to talk to you when I see you face to face. Now, a- Abigail, in your research, what did you find as some of the more common complaints of dating app users? Um, a lot of people, specific to Nashville more so, uh, complained about who they were seeing on these dating apps. I think Nashville, it can be a very big tourist destination. So a lot of people are quite upfront in their profiles for what they want or what they would like. But if you're on a more serious app to meet someone and someone has in their profile that they're here for a bachelor party and they just want to hook up with someone, they're not very interested in that. And you you see that more often in Nashville than maybe other cities or locations. But also some features people people don't like or like right you know there's a level of a level of vulnerability putting yourself out there mm-hmm. but you can make a judgment about someone before you even get to know them you know people might have their political preferences or their religious beliefs or activities they like to do that maybe you personally don't like but if you don't get to know that person or you're just judging them based off of that um, you're already making a decision to swipe left or swipe right. Yeah. Are, are you single? I am not. How did you meet your boyfriend? I met my boyfriend at a bar here uh, in Nashville. Well, straight up, just <laughs> not in an app, just met. You ran into each other one night. Yes, in oh. our neighborhood. Uh-huh. And you're saying in the neighborhood. That's nice, easy, and convenient, and tender. I like that. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about the dating scene in Nashville. If you're out there looking, we want to hear from you. Tweet us your dating stories at This Is Nashville. You know, I'm curious about how dating in Nashville is different from dating in other cities. Desiree, you moved here from Las Vegas, right? Yeah, I did. I actually grew up here, but lived out west for a couple of years and came back in 2018. So you got a little taste of what dating is like in other places. How is it different here in Music City? Yeah, it's it's different in the sense that um, just trying to figure out where to go to meet people. It felt like there were just so many more opportunities because Vegas was such a social uh, city. You know, everyone was out and about, uh, whereas in Nashville, um, especially, you know, as I'm starting to get a little bit older, folks have become more homebodies. So mm-hmm. you don't get to just run into folks at the bar like you used to. Mm-hmm. Any Are there any cultural differences? Yeah. And, and culturally, you know, from the, the queer experience, uh, we don't have as many queer bars as uh, anymore. Um, it's it's starting to grow back again, which is nice um, with lipstick and the new canvas. Um, but that was a piece of it as well, where there were just more events and gatherings for meeting folks that were beyond. um, I think here, a lot of the queer events are around um, professional uh, business related or or Mm. galas, but just would love to see more 
of those just purely social kind of events to meet folks. I, I would say that would be the biggest difference. Now, Miller, you're from Boston. From Springfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> so what have you noticed about the difference of dating here and in Springfield? Yeah, um, Springfield, Massachusetts is a melting pot. And so um, you can often see interracial dating going on. I mean, it's it's just prevalent. It's just what happens. And then when I moved here, um, I don't see it as much. You know, I don't see it. Um, I don't see it um, champion. I don't see people, you know, cheering it on. I, I, I just don't really see it as much. And that's one of the major differences that I've seen coming from up north, uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, where I'm from, to here in Nashville. Um, it seems like uh, there's a little division um, in, mm. the, in, the, in the love dating lane. Mm-hmm. Mm. Abigail, what have you noticed? Um, I've noticed that, I, I'm glad you, you, you said that. Um, I think for a younger generation, especially people who are always on their phones, they find it a lot easier, you know, maybe more anxious to meet people in person or to put themselves out there and have a conversation. And they find it very comfortable to get to know someone online. Um, and that's very different from an, my generation or an older generation where going out and finding these spaces. But I have found that since COVID is kind of my marker, but Mm -hmm. a lot of these apps have made changes to be more inclusive or uh, there's been a lot of updates on sexual preferences that, that people can set. And I think they've also updated different ways to show yourself that didn't before exist. You know, there's voice messages you can leave or prompts that you can ask people to kind of have that first date experience of meeting someone and seeing what, what values they have. But either meeting someone in person or meeting someone online, there's still still a lot of things to iron out. And talking about interracial dating, I want to dig into that a little bit more. Desiree, how do you think cultural differences factor in with that? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's huge, especially being in the South. Um, our history uh, within race relations is a factor. And also, you know, with Nashville, the especially within the Black community, you know, we're really growing and finding our own. So I could see where there is this sense of, you know, trying to have our own, almost like a Harlem Renaissance. You know, there's like this Nashville Black Renaissance that's occurring and that we're really wanting to to stay within um, our communities and make them stronger. So I could see where that is a, a factor. Um, and that we have only recently become more diverse. Uh, I was thinking mm. about when I was in high school, there weren't a ton of uh, kids outside of you know the black and, and white races. Uh, but as there's been an influx of new folks moving into the area, it's become more diverse. It's gotten better. But I think it's still that that sense of that that history and some of the the issues with race and this being a civil rights hub. Mm. Um, I think that plays a, a role in that. Miller. Yeah, no, I I, I want to just piggyback. I think she she um, she did a great job in explaining uh, the differences, and I I just want to clap <laughs> because she did a great job explaining that. You know, there's a lot of different types of relationships these days. Some people are just looking for a hookup buddy. Some people are looking for the person they hope to marry. Either way, communicating expectations can feel rather daunting. Let's be honest. Yeah. You know, Miller, how do you approach that conversation with your dates? Yeah, you know, for me, um, I, I'm, I, um, I, I really applaud myself on how good I communicate. And so up front, I'm telling you, this is where I'm at. This is my stance. This is how I feel 
Um, this is where I'm going. This is where I've been. And I like to have those initial conversations up front so we can get a kind of a foundation of where we at, you know. And so for me, um, I explained, you know, um, coming out of a divorce two years ago, almost two years ago, you know, I, I'm, I'm not rushing to run right back into marriage, but I do desire to be married. And so if you want to uh, come along on this journey, you know, we're going we're going, we're going to move at a pace that's best for both of us, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and so I, I kind of have those conversations up front to kind of just get it out there that this is where my stance is. Um, therapies help me are be help me have the ability to articulate how I feel as well. And that's one of the one of the things I think um um, I, I, I'll go ahead and uh, we as men don't do good. Very true. <laughs> you know, we just don't do good. And so I, um, I talk to a lot of guys, man, and just tell them the importance of communicating, you know. Um, and sometimes like, well, I don't know how to even say that. You know, I told a friend the other day that I was feeling sad. He's like, man, I ain't heard a man say sad in a long time. Wow. I said, well, that's how I feel, mm -hmm. you know, so articulating how you feel up front um, as far as your boundaries, your desires. Um, I'm, I'm a believer. And so my, my I move in a different way. And so up front, I'm telling you, you know, if you're going to have a drunk night. I'm probably not the one to go with, you know, mm -hmm. um, if you if you want to have a certain lifestyle. And so I, I believe having those conversations up front gives your partner and the person you're dealing with a better understanding of you. And as well as get you it allows you to place some boundaries for how you want to move in your dating life. Mm -hmm. Desiree, what advice do you have to give single folks in Nashville? I would say be open. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all had experiences, you know, positive, negative, you know, what have you within dating. But to me, my philosophy is always approach it with just optimism of like, hey, let's see what this is. You know, I loved what you uh, what the other guest said earlier about, you know, I'm just looking to meet friends, see what happens uh, next, but not coming in with too much of this expectation of it's this person's got to be this. But yeah, just being open minded and excited to meet the person in front of you and get to know them. That doesn't hurt anybody at all. All right. I want to thank my panel, Desiree Aristas, Arista, Damaris Miller and Abigail Trezinski. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Good thank luck you. out there, y'all. Thank you. Thanks. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with people who can't help but observe dating behaviors. Bartenders, join the conversation. What's the wildest date you've been on in Nashville? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Dating takes effort, y'all. First, it's a matter of finding someone. Then when it comes to the date itself, you gotta put your best foot forward. You want to make a good impression. Continue, contribute to the conversation, but not too much. You need to listen, but also don't be too quiet. Yeah, it can be a little nerve wracking. And plenty can go wrong when it comes to meeting up with a total stranger. There are some people who have a front row seat for all of the above. Bartenders, they see a lot more than you think. Trust me. Joining me now is Katie Sadiq, manager and bartender at Rosemary and Beauty Queen in East Nashville, and Jen Jack Jackson, bartender at the Blue Aster on West End. Katie, Jen, thank you for being here and welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Same. Such a pleasure. So listeners know that I have spent my time 
behind the bar in my past. So I'm really excited to talk with you both. Katie, you've seen a lot of dates. Spill the tea. <laughs> They're so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how, can, um, I mean, how can you tell when someone's on a first date? Like, what are the signs? Uh, they typically don't arrive together. Um, and their drinks are very limited. So it's like one drink because they're just kind of trying to get that feel for each other. Mm -hmm. But the body language is always like very tense and not loose because you can tell they don't know each other. Mm -hmm. um, so they spend hours drinking or not drinking. I'm sorry. They spend hours talking over like one drink uh, and the conversations are painful because it's like it's like a question and answer game. Okay. Especially whenever they sit at the bar and not at the table. Okay. Because as the bartender, you hear everything. Mm -hmm. Jen, are those signs familiar to you? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I was going to actually say that, that one way that you can always tell that somebody's on a first date is you're hearing them pepper each other with questions. Um, and people, what she said about like people not arriving at the same time, like, you can always tell a first date because they, they're not really sure. They'll be like, Kevin? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like they're not sure who they're walking up to. Um, and yeah, and it's just like there's those weird halts in conversation and you as the bartender can tell that it's making them uncomfortable, that it's gotten quiet, you know? Uh -huh. But like you, I don't know, you can hear everything. She's absolutely right. I don't think that enough people know that, that we can hear everything. <laughs> How entertaining is it for you two to observe this? <laughs> For me, I feel like it's super awkward, um, but also like just depending on how bad the date goes, mm -hmm. it's more entertaining for us when it goes really bad. Okay, <laughs> we're going to get to that in a second. I just know from my bartending time, people, I could tell somebody on a date because they would come in and a couple people would maybe start drinking a little bit. And they would also look at the door. Every person that come into the bar, they're looking at the door yeah. and they like, is this Kevin or is this <laughs> Sheila or someone? You know, how can... I wonder this. Okay, so how can you tell when someone is on a date through an app like Tinder, for example? Is there a difference there, Jen? Well, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, you don't really know who you're meeting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if you I don't know, like from back when I was on the apps, like that's exactly how it is. Like you've been talking to this person. You've only seen their pictures. So you can always tell that they're coming up and they're like, this guy kind of looks like these pictures that I've been seeing. It's like, you know, yeah. Um, and I mean, that's the only major difference you can. And a lot of times one person gets there a lot earlier. And I always like give points to the person who got there earlier because that's like the best way to get comfortable. But um, yeah, so like you can always tell that. Whereas like, a, I mean, it's really hard to tell with regular dates. Like you see a lot of couples that are established already mm -hmm. at the bar, but it's hard to tell. Honestly, who is meeting in person these days? I, that sounds like a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, what, what clues do you notice for Tinder dates? Uh, so there's like two different types. It's the type that comes in, like she said, like, and they're just like kind of like pointing at each other like, oh, well, hey, are, are you such and such? But then there's that couple that comes in and you can tell they're a Tinder date because they don't know each other, but they like proceed to get really drunk together. Mm. Okay. And then it's like a makeout session right at the bar. That's the worst. Yeah. Huh? Yes. <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah. Like to the point where you're like, hey, uh, 
<laughs> can you like I hope I like yeah I hope I, I know you're not having a good time but you're making other guests uncomfortable um and there's health, maybe it's time there's health codes too yeah. right you can only do but so much at the bar sure <laughs> but mostly it's just gross uh, <laughs> yes so what I'm curious what day of the week is hot for dating Katie Tuesday Tuesday, Wednesday. I no, was going to no, say Wednesday. Yeah. What What is it yeah. about hump day that makes it so special? <laughs> well, it's hump day in it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's not the weekends. You'd expect it to be the weekend, but mm-hmm. it is. It's usually in the middle of the week that people meet each other. What are, are I'm curious about that. I always thought the weekend was the hot one. So, you know, do you ever see, you know, do you ever see people meeting each other in, let's say, a clandestine type of way at the bar, Jen? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like they're maybe not like they're cheating is what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, the bar that I work at right now, I have, I have a regular who comes in with different women all the time. Hmm. Yeah. But we know that he has a girlfriend. (laughs) Okay. Uh, We need to hear stories about this. So so the whole staff knows he comes in with a different person. How often? A couple times a week. He, He like lives... He lives really close, so, you know, it's really convenient for him to come to our bar. Then does he tip extra? No, you would think he would. Yeah. Because <laughs> I could very easily be like, oh, who's she? But I don't do that. <laughs> okay, so what, uh, Katie, what are one of the wildest examples of a bad date that you've seen out there? Oh, like. What's one of the, the worst the, dates the, you've like, seen? Take place. Oh, it was a it was a similar situation to where it was a a regular who like came in with like different girls all the time, um, and he was on a date with another girl, and then another girl that he was on a date with two days before that came in. Um, so that kind of like blew up in his face, and mm. we had to like kind of de-escalate the situation for them because. The girl from two days prior wasn't happy to see him in there with somebody else because he tried to act like he didn't know who she was. And she made a scene. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> Had Jen, have you seen anything like that? Um, well, I did, but not when I was a bartender. Um, I There was somebody that um, was coming into the restaurant that I was working at um, as a date. And then another woman called and said that she wanted to send roses to the table because she knew the couple and um, on the phone, she was like, you know what? It's fine. I'll actually do it myself. I'll come down there, um, you know, during the reservation and I'll deliver the flowers. Mm-hmm. And um, we were like, OK, uh, that, you know, like that seemed a little odd. But then when she got there, it was very clear that she was not there to deliver flowers like because she was happy for the couple. Like it was very clear that this was either the wife or the girlfriend of the man that was sitting at the table. And she went over there. It wasn't, she. they didn't cause a scene. It was strangely very, very quiet. Like she wow. just sat down at the table and like they had like a quick, quiet conversation. And then she and the man left and the woman was left by herself. The Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a, an Alanis Morissette situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, it's crazy. Now, you know, people, they, they've said that, well, you know, Nashville is growing, but it's still kind of a small town. And in a sense, the dating scene can feel really, really little and insular. Is, does that ring true for you, Jen? Um, well, what I was thinking when you were saying that was that, like, all of the people that work in the restaurant industry is like a much it's a much smaller community. And we all kind of know each other through other people or jobs that we've had. Um, so 
I think that it like in that insular community of like, you know, bartenders and servers and hosts and all of this, um, that everybody knows each other. Everybody knows who's dating who. And it's like, oh, really? I thought that he was with her. But like, no. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as like the dating pool, it seems never ending. I'm actually... (laughs) I'm actually on a Facebook group called Are We Dating the Same Guy in Nashville? Wow. <laughs> and people post pictures of people that they um, are talking to through apps all the time. And I've been in the group for like six months and I've never seen anybody I know. So, okay. you know, you would you would think that, but I don't, I don't it seems incredibly vast. I, I think it's just because, like you said, Nashville's growing. Uh-huh. So. And, and so many people come to the bar. They have a few <laughs> drinks. They get loose. Their yeah. lips definitely get loose, and they gossip, mm-hmm. and they they spread information. So I wonder, how does it feel to have such sensitive information and to be able to wield the power of the holder of this info, Katie? Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I don't like that power because um, I never want to put anyone on blast, but... If I have to use it, I will. <laughs> Especially <laughs> to, to when the, the time is right. Yeah. Like, hey, remember, yeah. you do frequent my bar quite yeah. often. Great power comes great responsibility. So, right. you know, okay, so, but keeping, keeping people out of danger is the priority for bartenders a lot. So, Katie, tell me, how closely do you pay attention on dates to ensure everyone's safety? Oh, like, come from, a, like, a manager, like, position i'm always like very observant of like situations that are going on so body language is key like you know just kind of like subtle like conversation just to make sure that everything's like going okay and again especially being at the bar you hear so much and things that make me cringe are kind of like key signs for me to kind of like check in just to make sure that everything's okay because it's a creepy world and I never want a guest to feel uncomfortable, especially in my space, because that could be a red flag for like business in general. Like I don't want anybody to like feel like they can't come to my establishment because we're allowing people to be creeps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like to be very observant of that. Um, even whenever people aren't on dates, like on, especially on the weekend, like there are way more people in the establishment. So my eyes have to be everywhere, but also making drinks at the same time and keep an eye, keep an eye on like girls. Cause I mean, like girls like to come in packs and then sometimes they don't always leave with that same group. Yeah. So you might have a stray that gets left behind and you end up having to take care of her the rest of the night, making sure she gets home safe. Making sure some like some guys not trying to like pick her up that she has no idea who she's going with. Mm-hmm. Safety um, is key. We got we have to end yeah. it here. I want to thank you both so much. That is Katie, bartender Katie Sadiq from Rosemary and Beauty Queen. She was joined by bartender Jen Jackson from the Blue Aster. Thank you both for being here and thanks you both for keeping us safe. So, all right, it's Friday. That means it's time to go out, hop out of the studio and ride shotgun with a fellow middle Tennessean or two. Today, I'm meeting up with matchmakers. Lindsay Mulligan and Ken Grammis from Nashville Singles. Buckle up, it's a fun ride. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. 
Find me a find. Catch me a catch. Matchmaker. Give me one of the one of the more iconic uh, matches. Okay. Made. This one actually I'll have to give to Kim. Kim had given her and the gentleman each their matches and exchanged their information. And then this particular member had a skincare appointment and the practitioner was speaking to her and just saying, look, I really want to um, exchange your information with my dad. Like, I think that you guys would really get along. Mm. And it turned out that it was the same person that Kim had matched her with. Aww. That feels like kismet right there. Totally, it like, totally is. Things are meant to be is what I told her. I said, if I wasn't gonna match you with him, his daughter apparently was, so y'all were meant to happen. <laughs> Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Bum, 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 bum. Make him the cutest. You know, if it's not fun, then we're not doing our job right. You know what? It is supposed to be fun. Yeah. And when I hear people talk about dating, it sounds like they're not having much fun. It's, it's, that's definitely true. <laughs> When it comes to the apps, yeah, it's all frustration. Well, it's like the wild, wild west on it, it right? And you don't know people's intention. When people come to us, there's a lot of intention behind what they're wanting and what they're looking for because they're investing in themselves, which is important when you're looking for a real relationship as opposed to just swiping, 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 you know, thinking there's always something better onto the next. You, you said something interesting. You said that people always think that there's something better around the corner with this, you know, advent of swiping. Yeah. It prevents us from really being able to look and see the value of the person who is directly in front of our face. Exactly. And we are coming from a culture that is so centered around instant gratification, right? We're kind of in this moment where we're wanting things so fast and a return on our investment so quickly. But we are oftentimes having to pull back a little bit and say, good things, they do take time. One young man single and free. Experience in a love preferred, but we'll accept a young trainee. Oh. Now, do you guys ask questions, everything down to what side of the bed you like to sleep on? We don't get they that. Want to tell <laughs> us, then yes, we'll write it down and we'll definitely keep it in mind. We typically don't get that personal, like him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking, like, you That's know, how deep. That's a great deep. question, then. I know we all are on the lookout for red flags. Sure. But it might be like, hmm, you see that red flag? And this is a weird analogy. Turn it into a pink flag and put it away. Kind so we'll of. We'll reframe it. We'll say, well, what makes you have such an aversion to that or mm. why or what dynamic have you experienced that has made that piece kind of a no or a red flag in your perspective yeah yeah i mean it's helpful that we do have these red flags yeah. right those are signs from our past that we've made in our minds to, for survival they're something that we've experienced that hasn't made us comfortable happy or or feel good in our past mm -hmm. so they're there for a purpose but we're really digging into what's the purpose of them for you now, today. Yeah, because it may, you might want to put some away. Sure, and, yeah. And not hold on to them anymore. Yes, or make them pink. You're matchmaking, but yes. in many ways, it sounds a little therapeutic. Does it? I say this okay. every day to Lindsay and Heather, our director. Um, 
I really feel like I'm a therapist every day because you're really, you're not just helping them, you know, find love and find people. You're helping them work through some, like I said, some heavy things that maybe some of them have been through, whether they're widowed or divorced or, you know, single, never married even, whatever the case may be. They need to kind of release that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. That's kind of what we're there for as well, which is why I say we get to know everyone very, very well. All of our clients, like, we love them dearly. We become very, very close um, friends with them, and, and we're here to support as best as we can. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I can render. I've got a lot of sisters, yes. a lot. And I've got a lot of women who are friends, you know? Yeah. And we talk, their number one complaint about men was yeah. that on dates they talked too much, mm-hmm. trying to be overly impressive. And a lot of them were said, men just don't show up the way they yeah, look like. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and we try and remind them, you know, before they go out on their first match even, we kind of have a little bit of a pep talk with them and we try and remind them to be a good listener you know okay um it's important to ask questions back and not just be the one that's chatting the whole time people sometimes do that though out of nervousness not even just because they're being you know they want to make it all about them but they just feel like they have to keep talking because if they don't then what's going to happen if i stop talking and it's going to be awkward yeah we all receive love differently if the other person that we're dating their love language language is different than ours, we have to give it differently, Uh um, which is huge. Because a lot of times we just want to give it the way we want to receive it, but that doesn't always work. So much of this is found out through different experiences, and that's why we say, let's do three dates in a different setting. So we don't always have to be sitting at a restaurant. You know, we could grab coffee, go on a walk with the dog at the park. We could go kayaking on a weekend if it's in the summertime. So you'll get to know somebody's body language, kind of like how to read them through these different experiences because that's mm-hmm. that's the real person. Yeah. You, you know, t- it's not all words or talking. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll find out who they are when you, yeah. you take them to like an underground gambling syndicate. That would yeah. be cool. Yeah. Then yes. you're like, okay, can you, can, you know, can, can, can you, you handle can these get, brass knuckles? Or they're just going to run. They're yeah. in a run. It's We're like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, how'd you end up with that scar? I don't know. It was a hell of a date. Yeah. We both got $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a good time. <laughs> You know, maybe I'll be Captain Meryl Steubing for Halloween this year. Hmm, it's a thought. Thanks to everyone who tuned in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Farouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutho. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekolona. We'll see you Monday, everybody. And be good to each other.